Morning Crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, a.k.a. the Node Defender, will be joining us later in the show. And we got Kevin Cage joining us on this Wednesday. So a very special guest joining the Good Morning Crypto show. And I'm very excited for today's episode. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how U.S. adoption of cryptocurrencies is already underway, with Uphold now partnering with Ripple to leverage their liquidity solution. We break down how this development could be much more important than it may seem. As tokenization is set to take the world by storm, but not before a Bitcoin spot ETF is approved, now turning the largest companies on the planet into crypto enthusiasts in the process. And with the most powerful financial firms on the planet turning to crypto as a flight to quality, we break down the details, showing our community how this next bull run is shaping up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, the uphold news, it took the world by storm on Twitter last night. And my first reaction was typical overreaction by crypto Twitter. But after doing a little bit of research, listening to Kevin Cage, listening to the bearable bull, Tony Edward, I've realized this is much bigger than we may think. And I'm going to show that to our listeners today. But first of all, how are you feeling? And we got Kevin Cage in the building. So thanks for being here. Abs, I'm feeling great. It's, we're live. This is awesome. We're here with one of the one of the men that when I first got started in the crypto, I was listening all the time. Like Kevin Cage was one of those guys that had to be on your you know watch list. So I love Kevin. I'm so happy to be here to be talking with him and working with him. But let me start out like I always do, Abs. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love you guys. I appreciate you for showing up. Every single day. And yes, the show just got better today now that we got Kevin Cage on board. I can't wait to hop into it. And Kevin, we got some exciting news to talk about as well. We're going to talk about Ripple XRP tokenization, but the Bitcoin ETF narrative gets me very excited. And we had a good conversation before the show because the best thing that can happen to altcoins right now is Bitcoin getting to those next level of prices, getting to $40,000, $49,000. We're going to break it down throughout the show. But first of all, how are you feeling, Kevin? Thanks for making time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And it's just great to see life in the markets again after 200 plus days of Bitcoin being in that range between 24.8 to 31.7 or something like that. And I think the higher Bitcoin goes, the better. Um, a drop to 20K is possible, but I personally don't expect it. And yeah, this summer I thought we were going to go to 40K plus because historically we've retraced the weekly R1s before the halving or pre halving. And we still have up until about April. So. Fingers crossed, man. I want this RSI to finally take off, and I do want alts to follow behind. I look forward to breaking down the charts as well, Kevin. But when we're talking about the narrative, everything is shifting before our eyes. We're seeing the biggest contrarians right now become crypto advocates. Larry Fink, Jamie Dimon, everybody is shifting their sentiment. So I'm looking forward to talking with you about that today. And we got 182 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button if you're looking through updates all throughout the day. When we check out some of the daily movers this morning, Hex Token is up 24% on the day. We've got Chainlink up 8%, Gala Token 4%, Algorand and Quant Network both up about 1%. When we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we are up nearly 6% on the 24-hour, sitting at $1.24 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 53% dominance, and Ethereum is about 17%. 
Kevin, what's interesting is Bitcoin dominance continues to climb, which again is a good sign for the altcoins. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 34,700, Ethereum 1805, XRP is 56 cents this morning. We've got Cardano continuing to struggle sitting at 29 cents. And Johnny Crypto, we're going to talk tokenization to start this show off, but I think it'd be so fitting to listen to Larry Fink and what he thinks about the next step in finance being tokenization of real world assets. More and more global investors are asking us about the role of crypto. And as I said, I do believe a lot of crypto is is going to be it's an international asset. It's going it is uh, it has a differentiating value versus other asset classes. But more importantly, because it's so international, it's going to transcend any one currency in currency valuation. If you just look at the value of of our dollar and how it depreciated the last two two months and how much it depreciated over the last five years, I mean. A international crypto product can really transcend that. And that's why we believe there's great opportunities. And that's why we're seeing more and more interest. And that interest is broad-based worldwide. So here's what's really interesting, Johnny. You said so much in that 20-second or 50-second clip there. The first thing is a flight to quality, a flight to safety. We saw this narrative be sh- this was being shaped well before he did the uh, the interview with CNBC a couple of weeks later. This is the first time he talked about Bitcoin, and this is the first time he talked about cryptocurrencies being a flight to quality, a flight not just to a singular asset or a singular government, but a flight to a decentralized international asset. And that's what I think we're witnessing right now. But you give me your take; we'll kick it to Kevin. So this is what we call the ultimate WWE heel turn. So it's when the moments, the biggest moments, when, you know, when when The Rock went from being a bad guy to a good guy. And, you know, this is what we call a heel turn, right? And so these guys have been the most anti-crypto folks in the world, you know, telling you how bad crypto is and it's a scam and it's never going to be anything good. And, you know, we showed the article yesterday, Larry Fink said there's no interest in Bitcoin or in crypto four or five years ago, right, by anybody and all this stuff. Meanwhile, they were preparing and buying and setting up for it all this time. And now that they're all set, boom, now they do the heel turn. Now they flip the script. And now it's the narratives are crypto's the best thing since sliced bread. You got to have it. You got to get it. It's international. It's an internet. It's going to transcend international money. It's it's a flight to safety from the same guys that were going to fire you if you bought it. It's just amazing to see the narrative to happen. But again, we all knew this was coming. See, because on Good Morning Crypto, we that's what we talk about. Know the game so you can't get played. And the game was being set up. We knew that they were slowing everything down so they can get their paws on it. And now they have their they have their grip on crypto. I mean, BlackRock's probably going to get the first Bitcoin spot ETF in the world, or maybe second after ARK. But the point is they're going to have it. And they're going to be ready to roll. And boy, they're going to let this sucker rip. And I think we're going to see liquidity come in this market like we've never seen before. I'm super excited for that. Yeah, but a lot of people are excited about the having and excited about the narrative about the ETF. I want to talk about how this could impact altcoins because I think you're the perfect person to address this. What we're witnessing with Bitcoin right now is we bottomed out at 15,000 back in 2022. And a lot of the community was calling for lower lows. Well, what we've seen is we've gotten through the depression, we've gotten through the fear, and it appears like we are entering into a new phase of the cryptocurrency market right now. We're going to see financial firms start adopting this technology. So where do you think we are in this whole cycle? Are we still in a bear market? Where do you see us? Yeah, let me answer that. But first, I want to talk about Larry Fink, because it's just funny to see the 180 he's done in the last three to five years. 
So I saw a short, I think it was on YouTube, and it showed clips of him on the news years ago, you know, 2018, 2021, et cetera. And he said about, don't quote me on it, but three years ago, clients are not interested in crypto. But then this year he comes out calling crypto an international asset. And then he also says verbatim that is he's been talking with his clients about this for years and they've been interested. So you're, you're seeing different answers every time. And these guys just want their infrastructure set up. And what's cool about these wealth managers with all of these potential spot ETFs is I think BlackRock absolutely gets approved, whether end of year or in 2024. We're talking 16 to 17 trillion dollars AUM. And just like Crypto Eddie points it out, if it's 1% or 3% of their actual AUM and investors do want to buy Bitcoin or other assets in the future, that's a couple hundred billion dollars in buy pressure, where today volume is starting to ramp up, which is exciting before a retracement or a chance at an all-time high. But it's great to see just on-ramps, new capital, access to new markets. And we're at you know 400 million plus users, or at least what we had during the bull run. We're going to 1 billion users plus. That will happen conservatively this decade. A lot of people estimate by 2027. But um, all right, what else? So in terms of where I think we're at in the cycle, I, I personally, not financial advice, there's not a doubt in my mind that Bitcoin does create a new all-time high, whether that's at 70K, whether that's well over 100K. I think it's just a matter of time based on the tokenization stats we're seeing from you know all these firms, BCG, SWIFT's estimates of volumes of $24 trillion by 2027. To me, there's it's not a question of if, just when. HBAR's already tokenized billions of dollars on chain. JP Morgan already transacted over, I believe, seven, what is it, 700 billion, almost a trillion dollars in US treasuries. And not all of these public networks are gonna win. Not all of them are gonna solve every single problem. But in a tokenized world, there's going to be a lot of them that interconnect and work together and solve a variety of use cases. So I, I don't know where else to be over the next five to 10 years, but crypto for the highest ROI, the economy's tough. And, you know, I want some risk on assets for that chance to turn a little money into a lot of money. Johnny Crypto, I want to kick it back to Kevin for one more comment about where we are in this cycle. But check, you broke down how early we are in the investment phase. Look at this right now. 420 million cryptocurrency users globally, Johnny. That is drops in the bucket when you think about where we're going over these next two to five years. There's only 260 million users in Asia, 54 million in North America, and 38 million in Africa. And the only other one that's really worth noting here is the 31 million that are also operating in South America. So it's a very interesting time. And Johnny, I just saw we lost Kevin Cage on the stream. So I'm sure he'll be joining us soon. Just some technical difficulty here, guys. But think about this. 400 million users worldwide. We're going to see over the next two to five years, a mass marketing campaign like the cryptocurrency market has never seen before. So while I get Kevin connected here, you discuss the impact that that could have on prices. Well, I mean, this is to me probably the single most exciting part for me, one of them, why I'm excited about being in crypto so early. With 400 million people in and... Seven, eight billion people in the world, about two billion projected to come into this space. So not everybody's going to come into it. But you imagine where we are today. That's a five to six X of the amount of people that are going to come into this space. That's a shit ton of retail liquidity that's coming into this space on top of potentially 
of the the institutional money that Kevin was just talking about that's going to come into the space one two three percent or one two three points coming in once the SEC approves. So there's just so much upside potential coming into the space. Why do you think BlackRock and all those other boys want in? Why do you think they made sure they were going to get in before? Because they saw the writing on the wall too. They knew it was coming. But yes, we are extremely early. And the challenge with being early is most people don't have the patience. Most people don't know the game. And most people are going to say, I know so many people that already sold and left crypto. They're out already. The freaking game hasn't even started yet. We're like still in the parking lot at the pregame. And these guys are leaving the ballpark. Like the game hasn't started. Where are you going? And they're gone. They're out. They ain't coming back. They lost their money. And they already told me, John, I don't want to hear it. It's a scam, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Bye. And that happens every cycle. Right, right, Kevin? Oh, there you go. So that makes total sense. Every cycle, more and more of it. And so the, the sad part about that, Kevin, is they're just not patient enough or have insight to see that the blockchains are going to drive where we're going in the future. And there is going to be a shit ton of money to be made in this space if you play it right, if you diversify and you're patient and you have an exit plan so you don't just watch it go up and go all the way down you really i think can do really really well i think we're in the beginning of 1997 1998 all over again and a bunch of people as you were in diapers at the time but a lot of people became multi-millionaires from the dot-com and i think we have that same opportunity now but instead of dot-com millionaires we're going to be crypto millionaires Kevin, I think a lot of people want to hear your price predictions for Bitcoin. The question we we asked our live chat this morning was, do you believe that Bitcoin will break $50,000 in the calendar year of 2023? Now, it may seem like it's a far ways away, but think about this, guys. We are less than a 2x from breaking all-time high. We are sitting at $34,700 this morning. If Bitcoin did a 2x, we're in unknown territory, and we're getting technical issues here, Johnny, so you got to bear with me. Uh, Kevin Cage keeps getting kicked off the stream. But... um. Uh, for the sake of the conversation here, where was I headed with this? Let, why don't you just take the floor? Tell me where I should go with this content while we get while I get Kevin set back up. Give me. Oh uh, yeah, you got your game all riled up a little bit. We saw Kevin drop. No, I, I think you know when, when we think about what we're in, I don't think some people understand the impact of of how this is going to change the world and how people have an opportunity to be a part of that change. But, you know, and I know everybody in our chat here gets it. That's why they're all here and they're listening. I guess I'm talking more about our friends and our families that we all have. And you know, Abs, you have some of them in yours. I've got them in my life. And I'm sure everybody in the chat has friends and family that think we're nuts. You know, you're crazy investing in this stuff. You got, you got how much percent invested in it? You know, I got like my 401k. There. You know, and they're like, they, they're, I think they're very, very, worried because they haven't gotten that validity from CNN and from Fox and from everybody to say, Hey, it's okay. It's safe to invest in Bitcoin. And that's going to start to come now. We're on the cusp. We're on the verge of that happening with this Bitcoin ETF. And so that's why when I tell you it's the greatest heel turn of all times, you know, it's going to be massive, I think for the markets, but again, I could be wrong. We're going to have to wait and see. And what I really think we're on the precipice of, Johnny, is U.S. adoption of cryptocurrencies. That's what we're going to break down throughout this next article because the breaking news yesterday was Ripple forged a new partnership with Uphold to enhance the underlying crypto liquidity infrastructure. And this is the first move we're seeing within U.S. borders to enhance liquidity for XRP. David Schwartz even indicated at this after the lawsuit was over 
in July of 2023. So we're going to start breaking this down and we're going to get Kevin Cage back connected. But we got 363 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and we're going to break this thing down. Kevin, we're going to help you get set up in the background. But while we do that, here's a very interesting video about the Ripple and Uphold partnership. Day after the case, um, the judge ruled on the Ripple case. It was actually, and I'm going to a tweet I did, um, it was on July 14th. Someone had asked David Schwartz um, about ODL-related sales. Are they now considered securities? And David Schwartz said, and I quote, we're still figuring this out. We don't currently have ODL-related sales with the U.S. nexus, and not being able to do so is really not a huge deal. We can still do ODL in the United States so long as XRP is never sourced from Ripple. Well, I think by the partnership with Uphold, they have absolutely solved for that. And uh, it, it, for me, it's now the, the perfect ramp for, for U.S. financial institutions to start using ODL, which I think they've rebranded again. from So we're going to play the remainder of this. But while we got Kevin on the stream, I'm going to kick it to him for a comment. We're talking about the Rippled Uphold News. Sorry, <laughs> Ripple and Uphold News and the impact it may have on U.S. regulation as well as U.S. adoption. What we're waiting for since this lawsuit has ended is for one or two of these financial firms to start using Ripple products. This could be a step in the right direction, but what's it all mean to you, Kevin, while we have you here? Yeah, so not sure if you've already seen, and apologies, I'm connecting to my phone because my internet's down, got to love Puerto Rico. Um, <laughs> That's okay. But That's what's, okay. what's interesting is, and you probably already covered it, is David Schwartz talked about finding a nexus or that connection point into the U.S. market and talking about Uphold which even last year had over 26 exchanges and organizations connected to them. This could be a really big deal specifically for ODL to be used and sourced from other companies in the United States. Can you elaborate on that a little? We're getting, uh, go ahead. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So Anders shared some great information. If you guys follow, uh, I think it's X Anderson or Ander, um, X Anderson on Twitter. And he was just showing some of the connections of liquidity that Uphold has in the U.S. So since ODL can't be sourced directly from Ripple, because it would look like a security, they can run through some of these other organizations. And this could be kind of that big connection point into the U.S. market, into big firms, just like they have in other countries. Johnny Crypto, this is a tweet that Kevin was just referring to. It says, I think Uphold is the perfect partnership for Ripple. Name the fastest growing private company in the San Francisco Bay Area during 2022. And the Uphold platform is linked to 26 underlying exchanges. Think about that when it comes to liquidity. And we already got 400 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We're talking about Ripple and Uphold and the impact that it may have on U.S. adoption of XRP. And this is what David Schwartz was talking about during that video here, Johnny. David put out a tweet that said, we're still figuring this out. We don't currently have ODL-related sales within a U.S. nexus, and not being able to do so is not really a huge deal. We can still do ODL in the U.S. as long as XRP is never sourced from Ripple. That's where Uphold comes in, their massive liquidity pools. What do you take away from this news? Well, that, that's, how you get around, that's how you get around the rules. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. And they needed a way to get, you know, give people access to their funds without being labeled a security. And obviously if it's bought from Ripple directly, it's gonna be labeled security if institutions buy it. We know that already from, from the way the court ruling panned out. So what do you do? You say, okay, I'll sell you directly. Here's a third party in the middle. Now the only challenge with that is typically when you buy direct from source, you usually get a discount. And when institutions buy, 
they typically buy at lower pricing. So I'm not so sure how that whole thing's going to work. Typically, you'll have, uh, what do they call it, in the stock market. It's it's when you buy in the dark periods or in the off hours of the market. They're dark, they're called dark purchases. And you and you can buy a discount, you know, when you're buying large, large sizes. And I'm not so sure if, if, if Uphold is going to offer that same thing. If they do, then I think they've got a perfect solution. They've solved the problem. And you will you will see them now be able to get the XRP, the escrow, and all those funds that they have out there into the hands of, of large, large institutions without becoming a security. Do you think it's a coincidence? And I put out a great thread this weekend, guys, on Twitter where I talked about three narratives are coming together at the same time. Tokenization, flight to safety, and Bitcoin ETF being a store of value, also considered an international asset. What's really going on here, Johnny? Are we seeing the flippy switch? I just love to bring up the narrative flip because I think it's so incumbent of everything that's going on. You're seeing Larry Fink, Gary Gensler, Mike Novengratz. Everybody's becoming publicly bullish on cryptocurrencies at the exact same time Bitcoin pumps 30% in a seven-day period. The only person who was bearish, and Kevin, you may find this funny, was Jim Kramer. So we got we got the best indicators in the market working in our favor here, Kevin. Well, first of all, remember... The market, you always do the opposite of what Jim says. So if Jim is telling you to sell, you buy, okay? I mean, that was just, again, we all know how it works. We all know that Jim Kramer, why do you think Jim's on the, you know, Jim's at the highest level on the rat snake weasel indicator? We know that he's a bigger, big rat snake weasel. But you don't you don't go by Jim other than doing the opposite of what he says. But uh, yeah, as I said earlier, this has been a massive heel, heel turn, right? We've, we've got the switch. The narrative switch has flipped from crypto is bad to right now crypto is great. Because these guys are all positioned at a very, very low you know, entry points to skyrocket. And they're going to take this. I mean, let's face it. Who do you think was buying at 15K? You know, who is propping and holding up the market? Probably the big boys. You know, you guys like JP Morgan and, and BlackRock. So they've, they're well put micro strategy, in which we know who owns 15% of them. So they're well positioned right now in a market that is at the very beginning that everybody was told it was a scam up until last week. And, and with 440 million people in it and 2 billion or one and a half billion more to come in, could you imagine how excited they must be and how we should all be that we're in something so early? Yeah, this is exciting times. Life-changing times. Kevin says, I agree with him. We're going to break all-time highs. I just believe same thing. I don't know when, but I kind of agree with him. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when, not if. Kevin, we got 430 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is something we've been covering throughout the week as well. And I want to say thank you to Kevin for making time for us today. Thanks for being here. We, we appreciate it. This is the president circle of the Digital Chamber of Commerce for the United States. And this, this is the, I'm going to read their statement and then we'll go through some of their founding members. Their impact statement is basically incumbent of everything that they've got going on here. We represent the most dynamic, broad, and diverse set of companies in the digital asset and blockchain ecosystem. In collaboration with our members, we influence change and advocate for policies that encourage innovation and greater adoption. Why is this important, guys? Look at the members in this group. We've got State Street, which is BlackRock, MicroStrategies, Fidelity, Visa, both Binance and Binance.us. But as we scroll down even further into the president's circle down here, you can see the Stellar Development Foundation. You've got Ripple, BNY Mellon, and Wisdom Tree. And if you continue to go down, and I'm not going through all the big names. There are, I could spend 20 minutes reading off the companies here. There's also Wells Fargo in the third tier, which is considered the industry members, as well as Arrington Capital. So massive names here, Kevin. And the reason that I'm showing this is because I think it's a classic example of what Johnny describes as WWE. In the public, 
They're, de- they're, they're debating. Is, the, is it the Ethereum alliance? Is the SEC advocating for Ethereum and Bitcoin and annexing XRP? Behind the scenes, they're all part of the same conglomerates. They're all part of the same think tank. And the fact that they've all turned crypto positive over the last month, there's no such thing as a coincidence, just an unrecognized pattern. So with that being said, what do you take away from the narrative shift and the fact that all these companies, they're part of the digital chamber of commerce? Yeah, overall, I mean, and apologies, this is on my phone because the internet's down. So hopefully the audio is okay and you guys can hear me. But we've been seeing the same thing for years. We've seen years of developments, the world's biggest companies working with Hyperledger, Walmart and full production, using DLT for product tracking. All of it's happening before our eyes. But these things for a new asset class is a multi-year process, sometimes even a couple decades. So when we look at, you know, cloud, Linux, cell phones, social media, some of these things have taken 10, 20, 30 years, and it's happening faster for blockchain. And the biggest point is that, you know, we can kind of think when Bitcoin was created in 2009, we didn't actually have smart contracts and enterprises building apps until 2015. So now we have some massive stats this decade, 2027, 2030, I, I have zero doubt in this ecosystem. I might not have the best picks. Maybe some of my chosen alts do fail, but we're going to see mainstream adoption of some of these assets. And I think there's going to be a couple dozen primary chains that change lives. You know, I want to build on that. I think Kevin said something so important. If you're investing in this space and you think every single one of your investment coins are going to hit, you're thinking about this wrong. I mean, we've got over, there's over, 26,954 coins, only 12,000 of those are active. So 50% of them are already dead. And, you know, you hear everybody talk about the other 90% or 99% are going to die as well. Abs. I think the way to think about it is you're getting, you're investing into a space that, that we all don't know who the winner is going to be. You know, nobody knew Amazon and Red Hat and, and Google that were going to be the big winners coming out of this thing. But, if you were smart enough to invest in a bunch of these when they were little, you know, little baby horses, little ponies in the stable, right? You put them in your stable. Some of them are going to grow up to be some really fine race horses, right? And that's what we're. That's what. That's what this is all about. I think Kevin touched us on so important there. So don't expect every single coin you have in your stable to win, guys. Just know some of them are not going to. They're not going to make it to the big race. But you only need one or two horses to hit, and boy, it can be life changing. Uh, like, you know, the example I gave with Amazon, had I not sold it, I, I, I'd be a multi-multi-millionaire and wouldn't be sitting here today, right? So one, just one investment can change your life. And I'm not saying you're only going to hit one, but I'm just saying don't expect them all to hit. If, if 10, 15, 20% of them hit, that's probably a good hit rate, and that's probably going to change your generational wealth path. This is what's exciting, Kevin. We often say how, how many races are in the horse, not how many horses are in the race. Because if you get one of these projects to go and create a use case like Chainlink, like Quant Network, like XRP is doing, that's going to be enough to create gener- generational wealth, especially if you're taking profit during the bull runs and reinvesting during the bear markets. You're just multiplying your bags over time. This is something we've been showing on our show quite often. This is the internet adoption curve versus the crypto adoption curve. And what sticks out to me here, Kev, is 2022 is the equivalent of 1998. Now, that may sound like a great thing. There's plenty of money to be made here. When you zoom out, it took 15 to 20 years for many of these companies like Amazon, uh, Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, Facebook, all these companies that are tech-based to come to fruition. 
they weren't really existent and they weren't dominating the market in 1998. And even if you just look at the past two cycles, 2017 and 2021, the top the top 10 has been a revolving door. You know, you see the foundational Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, but there are plenty of projects in 2017 that were top 10 projects that don't even exist today. So we're going through a lot of changes here. And I know I threw a lot at you, but where do you think we are? We talked about 1998. Do you believe we're that early? Yeah, I would say we're late 90s, worst case, early 2000s. And the best part of it is I know we're in a bear market in the last two bear markets in 2015 and you know 2018. They took a thousand days for Bitcoin to go into an all time high price. And right now we're still on that same time frame. So nothing's different. But I love being in an asset class, even during crypto winters, when you have these stats and potential growth for the future, because five to 10 years from now, the opportunity is going to be less and we're going to have diminishing returns even more than we've already had. And there's still opportunity for a variety of assets. So, I mean, we've seen, you know, Link, QNT, XTC, a bunch of these things with smaller market caps at the time do over 400 X returns over the past few years. Now, I don't think I'm going to you know, buy something and it does a clean 100x and sell. I'd be happy even having an exit plan and getting 10x times my money overall just to be able to reinvest or compound in the future. So there's still huge opportunity, much more than the stock market. There's no other industry with this type of growth, even with AI. Blockchain with tamper-proof tech is going to complement it. There's just so many new markets and technologies that this simple blockchain tech, not really simple, but simple in the basic value add is going to change everything. And I think, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to say, wow, this is really obvious, but prices were really convincing during a bear market and trying to grow your investments and water your plants in winter. It's damn hard. How can you water your plants and grow a garden in winter? You can't, I mean, you do everything you can to keep that soil fertile, but you have to wait for summer. So this is all seasonal. It happens in cycles. This isn't made up. This is what we've seen in history. We just got to wait. Hey, hey, I want to hey, build on this stuff that you guys are. If you could pull up the Amazon chart, I don't know if you have it handy, but you guys are touching on something that I think is very important that's worth talking to our audience about is we're talking about two phases of this whole thing. So, Abs, you talked about how, you know, from 1998, it took about 15, 20 years for some of these companies to come to their maximum price appreciation. Not this chart, but the Amazon one if you have. But if not, it's okay. But um, you're right. It takes a long time. That's what I've been trying to tell everybody is there's going to be two phases. There's a speculative phase in the market, and then there's the real-world utility and adoption that, that then takes a much, much, much longer period of time. And if you look at the Amazon chart, if you recall, we had that whole speculative phase from like 90... 798 to about 2001 2002 you'll see a major bump and it had a nice run and pump and that was there it is there it is so looking at 1997 now i know it looks small on the chart but you know amazon for went from like a dollar to 120 dollars okay so you're talking 120x that's massive i mean that's crypto like number booms right and you see that you get that during that kind of speculative phase it was a bookstore at the time. You know, who the hell knew it was going to be what it is today and go up to $3,300? And it took a long time. But that's the speculative stage, like when you were in diapers or just maybe starting to walk. Then you shift 20 years, fast forward, and you're in the now you're in the full-blown utility stage. The winning horses are here, and they're, and they're taking off, and the losers are gone, like, like Petco and all the other things that failed. So there's two phases when you're playing 
from and now what I feel like, and I'm curious on Kevin's thoughts here. The last three bull runs, I think all of them were purely speculative. Speculative, speculative, speculative. There was nothing really working. It was all, you know, pie in the sky, smoke dreams, right? Maybe there was some smart contract stuff getting started. I feel like this 2024-25 timeframe and beyond, we're starting to now move from a purely 100% speculative play to some real-world utility and adoption happening. The beginning, though, not you know, not full blown, but I feel like this one is a kind of like a a hybrid market where we're going to have yes, lots of speculation, but we will have some real development, some real adoption, some real utility. You know that's going to happen. Now, of course, it takes a long time to see it come to fruition, but I kind of feel like we're 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 gonna we're gonna get this last bump, and then we're gonna start going sideways while that adoption happens. So, Kevin, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, and I, I think we know what's obvious, and we've talked about it for years, just looking like idiots, is we talk about utility of these utility-based networks, but the final hurdle to that is regulation. We can't have enterprise companies leveraging these protocols at scale without clear guidelines. So the frameworks are being built. U.S. is starting to get its act together. Congress is you know, starting to prioritize digital asset you know, legislation, but a lot of other countries are leading the way. Um, what was I going to say? Even Citibank, with tokenizing their institutional deposits, they said on the news, they said, yes, we're building our platform to be able to connect and be enabled with Ethereum, even though we're using a, per, a permissioned or private version now. But they're waiting on regulation. So these organizations see the value add of public networks. They see the value add of private networks that are more scalable. And there's going to be hybrid solutions with a mix of both to have the best of both worlds. So... You know, there's no truly decentralized network by any means. You know, decentralization has so many terms. You know, where are the nodes located geographically? Um, which nodes have the most power and governance? Like, there's just so many things, and it's just a spectrum. We're never going to reach any perfect network. There's no perfect investment. There's just opportunity by seeing the difference between speculation and reality as it just, you know, sways between each other. And Kevin, this and is Kevin, what gets me excited. When we draw upon, when we look at comparisons from prior cycles, this is where the real optimism comes in. As we can clearly see it illustrated here, 2012, 2016, and 2020 were massive years for the crypto market. And one of the narratives that is never talked about in the crypto bull runs is the fact that these bull runs come sooner than people anticipate. That's why I wanted to highlight what we're doing right now, because people think, I had a friend call me last night and say, if Bitcoin goes back below 20,000, I'm going to buy a whole Bitcoin. I said, ask Santa for Christmas because it's very, very unlikely we are going <laughs> to see a sub 30 or sub $20,000 Bitcoin going forward. So really briefly, we want to talk about Chainlink as well. Chainlink is a project that we've seen many collaborations with. And the latest one that took the world by storm was their collaboration with Swift. So I'm sure you've done videos on it. I'm sure you're very familiar with Chainlink's technology. Maybe you can elaborate on why you think that project is, is going to be a success in 2025. Even these last few weeks, we've seen Chainlink go from $6 to nearly 12 Yeah, Chainlink's interesting. It has you know tons of integrations as an Oracle with all these projects. I'm just not as interested in it, particularly because it's done over that like 400x move over the past few years. Um, I would much rather, you know, put my eggs in baskets that haven't gone that high. Uh, with that being said, with mainstream adoption, it can rock it. Don't get me wrong. I just think that not financial advice, Q&T has a better value add. Um, there's one guy on Twitter I recommend everyone follows. I think uh, his name is Just a Tech Guy. And he's been sharing just awesome information between Q&T and Link. 
and just comparing Overledger to what is it, CCIP, I believe. Uh, um, CCIP, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Chainlink's awesome. There's a lot of good things going for it, but there's also things in terms of supply and things I've seen where I'm kind of nervous. But, you know, I was the same thing with Solana. I wasn't too confident with it being heavily VC backed and lying about their supply. And that thing did a 500X and I missed it. So, yeah, who knows? Markets are irrational and sometimes me being logical, I miss awesome opportunities. Kevin, I want you Kevin, to elaborate on whatever on project whatever. you see as some of the best opportunities in 2025. You hinted at Quant Networks. And one of the things I love about this project is the tokenomics. 12 million in circulation, less than 1% is currently sitting on exchanges. It's not going to take a lot of liquidity to move Quant Network, but you hinted at some other opportunities. I also want to point out some of the things I don't believe in. I don't think Cardano is going to have this historic bull run like it did last time. We went from $0.03 cents to about $3.20 for Cardano and that was purely off uh, uh, the speculation of utility. They had the most developers. They had the most use cases being developed, supposedly. And then nothing really came from it. We haven't seen any big announcements. We haven't seen any mainstream adoption on the network. And when you look at who's actually using Cardano for smart contracts, the number's diminishing by the day. So not a lot of optimism around that project. What are some that you're optimistic about? And maybe some you see like Solana or Cardano. Ah, uh, Kevin. Yes, um, the community for Cardano super strong. And just, we have to realize when Cardano hit $3.10 plus, a $99 billion market cap, its circulating supply was 32 billion, larger than the majority of assets in the space. And, you know, I believe it can get enterprise grade adoption, but if it did that 160X with a large supply from a strong retail community and Bitcoin going to highs and good liquidity and exchange listings, what can some of these assets do over the coming years with true utility and you know trillions of transactions on their mainnet. We know HBAR, although it has a large supply, people critique it. <laughs> the Hedera ecosystem is 10 times bigger and more serious than the majority of projects out there. Um, and they just hit 25 billion transactions on their mainnet, I believe today or the other day. So we're seeing real world adoption with Hedera's consensus service and, you know, Initially, I don't think Hedera thought HCS, their consensus service, was going to be the big primary enterprise use case, but it is. They're using a mainnet for consensus and using Hedera and these oracles for proof of reserves with uh, WorldPay. It's just all the things we want to see despite price action, but this is where I want to be in crypto now during a bear market because during the bull run, everyone's going to be bullish when some of these alts are up 3x from today. People are going to be buying when they're already up 3x. We've had two plus years to accumulate at lows, try to get our DCA down, might be in profit in some, maybe in a loss in others, but I'm not going to be buying once these alts are up. Um, we've had time to accumulate. I'm sick of accumulating. Um, I'll be staking and I will be buying more if we see any dips as Bitcoin climbs, Bitcoin dominance goes up and some alts might lag. Looking at previous cycles, um, I had a chart up, but my internet's down. Basically, when you look at the performance of Bitcoin taking off in October of 2020, it was running months before the majority of altcoins took off. HBAR was going sideways until January. So we're talking, you know, two months, three months until these alts actually start moving as Bitcoin approaches its all-time high. So the higher we see Bitcoin go this year and into 2024, and my alts are running sideways, I'm not nervous. I'm nervous if Bitcoin goes under 20K. I'm excited. Um... I see a question Ask what I think about algo algo is I have a heavy position in algo. I've been buying that because it is sitting at lows. Um, I, 
you know, I've seen concerns about Algo Foundation selling their Algo, but I've seen a lot of updates. I believe in Algo, not financial advice. Nothing's guaranteed, but I would much rather add to my position while I'm getting closer to break even because I want to buy as low as possible to attempt to sell as high as possible. Spot on, guys. Spot on, Johnny, guys. I didn't Johnny, know if you had a follow-up question there, but we got 506 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And while we're talking about altcoins and the potential, Bitcoin still dominates this market, Kevin, and I, know, I love the narrative you painted there. The best thing that can happen for these altcoins is they trade sideways while Bitcoin's going up in price. And Gonzo, he does great TA on our show, and he's somebody that we talk about often because what he's described is what's going to happen here. Bitcoin is going to break all-time high. It's going to go to a hypothetical $100,000, and then it will turn over. And that liquidity, it needs to go somewhere. And what we're anticipating is that liquidity is going to flood into Ethereum, XRP, a lot of the major altcoins, and inevitably into the lower cap projects just like we've seen before. So is that what you're anticipating for this next cycle? Yeah, same thing. And, and there's going to be one-offs that even lead Bitcoin and go higher. Um, yeah, what about Casper? Same thing. Casper is one of my biggest holdings. Um, I'm a huge believer in it. Talked about it, staked it for two plus years and just simply waiting for a lot of these things to wake up with volume. Um, there's so many catalysts when a bull run actually takes place. And also to touch on Algo just a little more is, you know, Algo's all-time high market cap was 15 billion. That is two times larger than HBAR's all-time high market cap. And its supply is significantly smaller. I think circulation is around 8 billion versus HBAR well over 30 billion. So even though Algo is down, it doesn't take as much volume as we think to do very well when we compare it to different assets like Doge, Solana, Cardano that reached 75 to $99 billion market caps. Going back to $15 billion market cap for you know Algo, that's a dollar, dollar 80. Like I, I personally believe a lot of those things are assets with decent supplies, not too large can break into new highs, especially if Bitcoin's 100K plus and we crash back down or retrace, that money's going to flood into alts. And hopefully we're going to see a regulatory-based or utility-based bull run either this cycle or next cycle. Which I, think I think it's a perfect time to, to play that Tim Draper video, Kevin, but I want to talk a little bit about XRP's price chart before we move on. When we look at what we've seen in the past, XRP did a 70,000% gain in a 240-day period during 2017, heading into 2018. Now, obviously, history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. And so people look at the XRP price chart and how long we've been trading sideways. From about 2018 all the way till 2023, we have not kept our resistance above 80 cents. So what are you anticipating if we do get a bull market? We talked to everybody about their, their price targets and what they're looking at for 2024. We've heard waters above, say, 70 cents in December, potentially breaking $1.90 sometime in April what do you see as a TA expert? Is that what you're seeing on the charts? So for me, it's all based on if Bitcoin breaks into an all-time price. Other, otherwise, we're just going to see another type of retracement. If we followed like for like what Ethereum and Bitcoin have done, two of the largest assets, that's nine to 11 bucks. Now, some people see that and go, whoa, but that market cap would be absolutely massive. Well, I think there's going to be protocols, believe it or not, that do reach one trillion or multiple trillion dollars in the future. Bitcoin hit roughly almost 1.3 trillion alone, Bitcoin at 100K is a $2 trillion market cap. If there's 16 trillion to as high as 68 trillion, as BCG states in that report is tokenized, there's going to be a fraction of that that will interoperate and run on some of these public networks. So 
It's just trillions and trillions of dollars, even thinking of the FX market with $6 trillion per day. And 87% of that market is speculation. That's, you know, 13% are banks actually using it to exchange currencies for utility. So speculation can drive markets massively. And when we think about the number of stock investors and um, alternative investments, all of these things are growing to dozens of trillions of dollars in the future, and they're going to be tokenized. Like it's happening today. That's not speculation. The speculation is how high can some of these networks go? So conservatively, XRP, it has a gap at $1.59. Um, and also just want to take out that previous high because this retracement we had closed the weekly fair value gap of the high that we had back in 2018. So I would like to smash through that level, see an all-time high. I mean, conservatively, not moon boy hype, $5 plus, nearly 1.618 in previous uh, 89 FIB extension where Bitcoin or and a few other assets have already hit. Um, the sky's the limit. You know, I've seen some FIB log growth curves showing $20 plus. And then one last point is BlackRock. Um, Robbie Michnik, when he used to work at Ripple, remember that valuation framework he and Susan Athey wrote? Well, Robbie, he was at Ripple. He left. And then I think back in 2018, he was hired by BlackRock as their head of digital assets. This is the same guy that made some models and uh, the valuation framework and showed XRP between uh, six bucks to $32 with success case. So I believe in an all-time high. Do I you know, hope we go to crazy high prices in the future? Absolutely, but let's actually just break into a high and get past three bucks now that we have ODL Live, we are back on exchanges, and we are one of the very few assets in this entire space that is not a security. I think that time is the perfect recipe in a bear market that makes us forget all of this and we get more conservative all the time. It's just so effective. Yeah. One second, Johnny, one second, I'm going to keep it straight to you, my friend, but I want to ask Kevin one quick question. Oh, sorry about that, Kev. I want to ask Kevin one quick question about tokenization and the automated market maker coming to the XRPL. Whenever we ask our special guests what they're excited about for the next year to year and a half for XRP, it's tokenized assets and it's the automated market maker coming to the XRPL. I'm going to ask you the same question. One, do you think those will be catalysts for price? Tokenized assets coming to the XRPL, is that going to increase the value of XRP? And the second question is, what do you think the impact of the automated market maker will have on these markets overall? So first up with the AMM, I've been trying to keep up because there's just a lot of dispute in the uh, developer community lately. Um, I want the AMM to come. I know David Schwartz wants it to come because I want better liquidity in XRP's or the XRP Ledger's DeFi ecosystem. So I would definitely participate, even with the risk of impermanent loss. Um, I would love the opportunity to do that, to earn some yield on my assets and my holdings. And I wish there was something like this around for years so that I could have capitalized on it instead of just buying and holding. Um, and then in terms of tokenization, absolutely. You know, the more liquidity, more users, more assets that are tokenized on chain, the more potential transactions. And with DeFi, we have a term called total value locked, TVL. We know Ethereum was king. Um, we saw how many projects launched ERCs, how many lending protocols and DEXs were on top of Ethereum, and Ethereum rose to the heavens. I mean, since inception, doing over a million percent. So for XRP, we also want tokenized assets. Hedera is doing a great job with total value represented on chain already in billions, I believe over 5 billion at least, including... Uh, Let's see, Archax with the Aberdeen Fund, a huge wealth manager worth over 500 billion pounds in Scotland, I think. Um, and then even with tokenized real estate, 
So we're going to see a lot of these chains actually have a TVR or total value represented number in the future that are tokenizing some of these assets. And it's hard for me to imagine that that value doesn't also drive to the token. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, I one, think of that's things... one of the things. Oh, hold on, Kevin, I got to mute you here. Um, one of the things I think that, that we look at will be the valuation or what the valuation of these coins will be. And, and that's kind of something when you think about the stock market, they'll have a PDE price to earnings ratio and whatever the company does, you know, there's a valuation of, of the, of the stock. The interesting thing about crypto is it doesn't work that way. It's, it's a, it's a whole, if you own XRP, the, the, uh, the cryptocurrency, you don't own ripple the company. And so how those valuations translate is going to be very, very interesting. Um, um, to how they end up getting in the price, price. But, you know, but you know, the show is, the show is, Go ahead, Kevin. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, no, th there's a lot of good questions I see all the time, and I have the same questions. People asking, okay, if Hedera's consensus service does 1,000 TPS and it requires this fraction of HBAR, you know, how much enterprise adoption or transactions are required for price to go up? And the truth is, we don't know. Um, you know, we're looking at models, we're guessing, but this has never been done before. So everybody's speculating, even the world's best investors, even, you know, the guys in TradFi that you know see where this space is headed so we're all speculating but the the main belief is that the value is in the protocol this is flipping the stock market on its head because instead of investing in apple stock and just betting on the earnings and growth of one single company you're betting on an entire protocol where all the biggest companies can leverage it to some degree yes, yes. that's exactly that's right that. i don't know why there's an echo there that's why to me, Kevin, this space is so fascinating and why it needs regulation or, or rules, whatever, for it, you know, so we can operate without the SEC being a, a monkey and everybody's back because it's so different. And like you said, we do get to invest in a whole entire infrastructure that can, you know, be driving markets all over the place. For me, that is the most exciting part. And you're right, figuring out what this is going to be worth. That's what we're all waiting to see. How will these things actually be evaluated? How high can they go? Well, I think we're going to start to find, start out, to find over out over the next years. Yeah, and also one last thing, and then uh, Abs can take over, because I love this clip of Tim Draper keeping Gary Gensler in place. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when I started, I thought it was going to be smooth sailing. You know, I bought Cardano, like, after launch at 12, 14 cents, watched it go to a dollar, didn't know when the heck to sell. You know, you're making three X's left and right, five X's. And it gave me such a false sense of security as an investor in 2017. And then, you know, you get humbled and wrecked in 2018, 2019. But I kept buying because I, I looked at it and I was like, there's no way that some of these things don't grow in the future. And then you look like a genius during the bull run in 2020, 2021. And the same thing is happening. I thought XRP would have gone to an all-time high last cycle. I didn't really understand the ramifications of an SEC lawsuit. You know, I learned so much thanks to John Deat and Jeremy Hogan, all these experts. But then we have ETHgate. We have all these controversies. You have Celsius, 3AC, um, Luna, all these collapses. It's just been the wildest ride of my life. Um, and provided I see developments and growth, I'm staying for this or sticking around. I'm not leaving when it gets difficult because we are going, I mean, we have the potential to be absolute legends. And this just shows the endurance and conviction it actually takes to be an investor, a long-term investor, not seeing, you know, price or gratification from prices tomorrow, 
this is teaching so much. And I feel like a couple years in crypto teaches you like five to 10 years of investing principles in the stock market. <laughs> you have to have nerves and a stomach of steel to be a crypto investor. <laughs> but I think for everybody who's here and made it through, here we are. But Abs, I know you got a couple good good uh, pl- um, clips to play. So I'm going to turn it back. Absolutely, guys. And we are sponsored by Merlin, aka the smartest way to track your crypto. Get your 30-day trial absolutely free. First link down below. But right now, we're talking a little bit about XRP. So before I play that other very interesting video, here's a 20-second clip from Brad Garlinghouse explaining the value of XRP's efficiency. We own a lot of XRP, and we think XRP is extremely efficient for many use cases. Not all use cases. We, we definitely are not maximalists in that we think that there's a place for Bitcoin, there's a place for a lot of other uh, tokens and different use cases. But you know, Ripple at its core is an enterprise infrastructure company focused on blockchain. And we own a lot. So I love that clip because he says we own a lot of XRP because of its efficiency. And so what that tells me is XRP is the best product in the market. It's not about having a free pass for one currency and annexing another. But this is a video that we were referring to earlier. We're going to connect this to a Jamie Dimon clip. This is Tim Draper and Gary Gensler discussing what happens when you enter a new market with a new technology. Not letting this happen. And then it keeps going. And then they say, okay, well, let's let's go after, let's sue them. Or let's go get the government. There's another thing. Or, there. They adopt the technology. I think no, no, that's at the end. end. They will adopt no, this technology. No, this is the last thing they do. They plant the press stories. Ripple's founders never registered XRP as a security before selling it to other investors. They argue it's more like a utility and that it's a currency. They put out lawsuits. They create as much of a fuss as possible. They try to get their government friends involved. And then they go, oh, God, this thing's happening. There's no dispute. This is happening. And like we've been saying for a while, Johnny Crypto, the only reason they're talking about it is because they're ready to profit off of this technology. Before I play the end of this clip, I wanted to give Kevin a chance to comment. Tim Draper and Gary Gensler, the irony, it's painful. But what do you think, Kevin? Yeah, no, I I love Tim Draper. He's a funny guy and his uh, thick eyebrows are always convincing. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he's a billionaire. He knows how the game is played. He sees right through it. And I'm just happy that somebody publicly called Gary out because, you know, Gary, we know him. He was one of the youngest uh, successful uh, employees of Goldman Sachs. Like, come on, you got to question some ethics for people that got really high up in the game where we didn't necessarily vote them to be in power. It was, you know, the president's administration choosing this. So it's like, okay, he's taking private meetings with Vanguard. He's got, what is it? Nine figure or, you know, eight, nine figure net worth. And you just wonder, you know, is he really serving the people? No, not at all. And let's actually transition to the video of Jamie Dimon as well, because I think this connects very well to the video that we just played. This is Jamie Dimon talking about how we are on the precipice of a geopolitical catastrophe and how he's preparing his banks and financial firms to get ready for the collapse of the U.S. dollar. He's also talking about how central banks around the world are at a point they've never been before. Let's listen to what he has to say. Geopolitical situation is complex. as We've seen, I, I don't know if it's 1948 or 1938. Obviously, we all hope it goes away. Okay, but I'm going to play this clip, but look at the symbology here, right? The circle with the black rock in the middle, guys. What does that symbolize? Anybody who's familiar with the masonry work, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But let's let this clip play and we'll go back for comments. Geopolitical situation is complex as we've seen. I I don't know if it's 1948 or 1938. 
obviously all hope it goes away. I think it's a little bit of wishful thinking. It's going to take real leadership on the part of many people out there. And then I look at the financial situation, the, the fiscal spending, which is more than it's ever, I'm talking about the United States, but it's almost true around the world. It's more than it's ever been in peacetime by a long shot with the highest debt levels we've ever had by government. <clears throat> and there's this kind of omnipotent feeling that central banks and governments can, can manage through all this stuff. I, I, I'm cautious. I don't think it makes a piece of difference whether rates go up 25 basis points or more. Like zero, none, nada. I think whether the whole curve goes up 100 basis points, you know, I would, I would feel, be prepared for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. But I look at what we're seeing today more like the 70s. A lot of spending, a lot of this can be wasted. I'm in favor of this whole uh, ESG effort. No political situation. Of course, he's in favor of the ESG effort, Johnny. We got 509 listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And before I kick it over to Kevin, I want to get your thoughts, Johnny. He compared it to the 1970s. Do you agree? Well, <clears throat> certainly in the 1970s, there was a, a lot of spending, although one big major thing happened in the 1970s, as you may, well, you won't know, but you, you, you probably know from history, is that that's when, you know, gold was actually uh, decoupled from the dollar. And so I think it was 1971 or 72, 73, somewhere in that in that time frame. And, and so from there on out, it was the end of the dollar that the purchasing power has continually dropped down from there, unfortunately, and we've seen a, um, a devaluation of it. And I think he's right in the sense that we are we are getting near the end of the, you know, the dollar being the dominant world reserve currency as a whole apps because we spend like crazy and we just we, we take advantage of it. And the other countries are fed up because we can print and it affects them a lot more than it affects us. Well, that isn't going to be the case anymore because the BRICS, as you see, have created a new currency and there's a lot of countries jumping on board with it. So, you know, yeah, I think it is one of the, <laughs> what inning, you know, <laughs> you know, in the crypto game, yeah, we're like, I don't know, fifth, six inning stuff. But, uh, but, you know, I think that you, yeah, you have to think, I tell a lot of my friends and family, like don't, don't save a lot of cash. I mean, the old school way was you go to work, you get a job, you make money, you put it in the bank, you earn some interest and you're happy, right? And you save money. That doesn't work. That is not going to work for the next generation because the dollar, I think, is is, is in trouble. And so you really want to go to work, make those, you know, or maybe create your own company, right? Get it, you know, whatever you do to earn cash and take it and put it in, in, in either a safe asset or an asset that's going to grow for you. Something like real estate something like that. I'd be very cautious about the bank. You know what else is freaky, Johnny, is I saw a clip the other day just comparing inflation. You know, they report it saying, oh, 7%. But there was a guy shopping at Costco and just going through items. And it was like 75%. And that's terrifying. Um, and then also uh, regarding Q&T and Link, you know, assets are likely going to do well during a bull run. I'm focused more so, or at least my heaviest positions on assets that have yet to really go. Um, QNT has been a top performer for years, but the thing is, it's super legitimate. It could reach, you know, multiple billions and billions in market cap, just like Chainlink. Chainlink's been consolidating for a long time. It's due to recover a bit, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely am just focused on a lot of bigger positions and some young bucks, because I think those are the ones that can do well um, during a bullish cycle for the highest ROI. But yeah. um, what yeah. else was I going to say? Jamie Dimon. You know, take everything. I mean, take everything that I I even say with a grain of salt. But like Jamie Dimon's been saying, Bitcoin's rat poison, and then they go behind the scenes 
you know, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, these guys buy a $400 million crypto trading desk while telling everyone crypto is a scam. Like, which is it, you know? And then Jamie Dimon of Chase, you know, he's one of the big three, Chase, City, and uh, what's the third bank? I'm blanking now, HSBC. Bank, bank these guys control, uh, no, no, HSBC. These mm. three banks control 80% of the cross-border market. They don't want XRP. They're terrified because they make billions of dollars per year with transaction banking. So they're, you know, building Onyx and all these other solutions, um, just trying to stay relevant. And they're, they can catch up. They have the user base. But yeah, they don't want innovation with some of these smaller players to level the playing field because that threatens their wallets. And Jamie Dimon indicated this in the video as well. He said he was frustrated with the fact that they didn't come up with this innovation themselves. And guys, we're going to close this episode out in just a couple of minutes, but we got 476 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Here's what Jamie Dimon had to say about innovation not taking place within the banks. Great job, and we should acknowledge that. Some have done a great job. That you and I would call them a fintech. There's something that a company came up with, which is fintech-type services. Yes. And some have some some of this stuff that we could have done ourselves. And you know, I think a company should be self-critical. Mm-hmm. We could have done ourselves, and we didn't. They beat us to it. Or they just beat it. You hear that, Johnny Crypto? He said we could have done this ourselves, and we didn't. It's okay to be self-critical. That's that right there is basically dispelling the rumors of the fact that they have it all figured out behind the scenes. Everybody says. Why don't they just launch their own product? Why aren't they developing this privately? There's not infinite minds in the space. There's not David Schwartz walking around on the streets out there. There's three to five people who are really making an impact and not that, and they do not sit at JP Morgan. So you give me your thoughts and we'll close it out here. Well, you know, when you're talking about big companies like JP Morgan, the point is they can afford to go and find the one, the two, the guys, the brilliant minds in this company and go and do it themselves if they want to. But most companies will tend to innovate in what their expertise is. And the systems that the that the banks use probably aren't developed by the banks. They're using probably other companies to do it. And that's why he's saying, you know, we should have done it, but we didn't. They didn't see it. They didn't have, because that's not what they do. They're not sitting there and in, in, in improving their, their uh, infrastructure. They're worried about making new banking programs and things like that to service the people and make more money, right? Um, so the, the thing that that I don't understand that I still can't seem to wrap my head around is whatever system they're using today for cross-border payment. We know they're making a lot of money on it, but we also know it's expensive. A system like XRP or ripples system does the same thing, but it's better and it's cheaper. So theoretically, if they were to adopt a system like, you know, ripples XRP or the ODL, the cross-border payment system, and, and put it in place, they theoretically theoretically would be lowering their costs. Now, if they didn't pass on those savings to their customers and they kept the same cross-border payment costs the same, they actually would be making more money. So I, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't buy the argument that they're afraid to do it because it'll cost them more money because there's an ability for them to actually make more money or, or oh, reduce oh, costs for cost everybody. For and, and that's what's the part I don't understand why they're not leveraging the technology to either improve their bottom line and lower costs for everybody. Um, or, or worst case, they would improve their bottom line and not lower costs, which would be horrible. But the, I just don't, I don't know why they're not going down that path. I don't get it. We know the demand for a neutral asset and, you know, we all hope it is some type of decentralized asset or network like the XRP ledger. But we just don't know, like five to 10 years from now, who knows what they're going to issue as that neutral asset instead of just the U.S. dollar 
as the global reserve currency, what new digital products or baskets are going to be created. It's it's uncertain, but damn, is it good to see Bitcoin up to 35K? $35,100, Kevin. And I want to address the Ripple lawsuit before we close it out here. We've talked a lot about this on our show, but we're yet to hear your opinion. Ripple scored a major victory in a U.S. battle. Over the weekend, we saw them dismiss the lawsuit against Brad Garlinghouse and Chris Larson. And we had an SEC lawyer or somebody who's familiar with the matter say the SEC appeal odds are a mere 3% against Ripple, making their path ahead very challenging. The latest data suggests only a 14% chance that they could win the legal dispute. Despite the three-year legal battle, Ripple maintains its winning streak as the charges were dismissed against the CEO and chairman last week. Now, I just wanted to get your opinion on the whole ordeal. Not only that, the fact that they dismissed the charges against Chris Larson and Brad Garlinghouse, which came from an internal vote at the SEC. So that's a very big win. But what do you think about the fact that we're seeing this be put behind us? Johnny talks about the monkey on our back. Is this really what we've been waiting for? How do you feel about the whole ordeal overall? So I know, what is it, $770 million, you know, that the SEC wanted from Ripple, you know, do they get some money? Maybe. And it'll take some time. But the biggest concern for me as a retail investor was XRP's legal clarification. So I'm not worried about it. Yes, there's going to be more, you know, FUD or even legitimate concerns in the future. Nothing is, you know, perfect. And there are people in the wrong for sales. Don't get me wrong. But XRP, we can trade it, we can own it, it can be traded on secondary markets. I don't care. It has clarity. And I'm hoping this sets the press or sets precedence for other assets in the future to have a stronger case because the SEC is going to go after, you know, ICOs and different projects that, you know, did certain types of funding. So I'm hoping this will help, you know, HBAR, um, Algo, Casper, anything that runs into issues in the future. Um, I think it's a big deal. And let's talk a little let's Bitcoin a little before bit we close bit it out right here, Kevin. We are sitting at $35,100 for Bitcoin. And I know 35 k was a big price mark that everybody was watching for. What are you anticipating? Let's talk really, really short term. Do you think we could see a move up to 49000 That's, 1, what, I've been that's what I've been seeing from other TA experts. Yeah, I mean, we can if the weekly RSI rockets here. Um, you know, we're going to be conservative. Everyone's going to say, be careful of a pullback here. But the thing is, we're just ranging for 200 plus days. Crypto is volatile. Once it gets moving again, it can go for 30 days or a couple weeks and be very, very strong. That's what I'm hoping for. I can't rule out, unfortunately, even with structure, a break to 20K because we have gaps. We have open fair value gaps at higher levels. Um, and what I'm looking for to finally say, okay, we have a serious shot at an all-time price for Bitcoin, whether it's 70K or like 150K Bitcoin is if we can close full weekly candles, the wick in the body above 42K, because that's around the 50% retracement, the previous cycles, multiple cycles, it's done that, it has always created a new high. Even if that's after the Bitcoin halving, I think it's very possible to see some big things before the halving. The halving is just one you know, confluence, it's one consideration. We have to put all of this together um, and just speculate. But yeah, I believe in an all-time high and I would love for us to get above and close above 42K. And then it's like, okay, now we can fly. Let's break that six, uh, 69K level. I think, you know, Abs is, is in, in agreement with Kevin here where we talk about the potential to break all-time high. Very, very exciting. And speaking of that, the bull runs, Abs, there were a couple of questions for our, our audience. I think, you know, we're here for you guys. So, 
One question is where can people find that chart that you kept putting up that showed all the bull all runs the bull side runs by slide? By slide. So yeah, abs, you, can go, you can either create a free trading view account um, and connect your Twitter, or you can go to charts.cointrader.pro and just pull up a Bitcoin US dollar chart and just see all the history, put it on the weekly, the daily, and you can measure how many days it took. You can look at the halvings. You can look at RSI on these higher time frames. And we're seeing a very similar setup that we saw during a big recovery during the previous two bear markets. So I'm pretty bullish. Yeah. Johnny Crypto, and I want to play this clip before we continue with the Q&A. This is a 30-year news anchor on Squawk Box saying, prepare for the Bitcoin halving. So because of what Kevin just said, I think we should play this clip. Here we go. Yeah. This, yes. Andrew. But I also understand where Prepare. I know. I know. It's prepare for the having. The having is coming. What, what, the leftovers. <laughs> what is the, and I, I love the, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding around about it. I think it's great. This. <laughs> so I thought it was pretty funny that he just put that out there. Prepare for the having, guys. And then he's like, I love Bitcoin, but you could tell it was sarcastic when he was saying it. I just wanted to play that. Continue with the QA, Johnny. Yeah. No, he's very sarcastic and not a believer, but that's okay because he'll, It'll be somebody else's exit liquidity. Uh, I think another question that people were asking, and Kev, curious of your take here, is people want to know, is it smart to invest their 401k into BTC? What would you say to somebody, Kev, who's thinking about putting some of their I gotta practice, guys. We cannot give financial advice. And we are not financial advice. So, so what would you Let's do? get that question for the – do you want to answer that, Kevin? I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity, but no pressure. No here. pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'll answer it in my own way because I, I put my 401k in crypto a while back. Um, you know, my answer to everybody is it doesn't matter if you hear me talk about some cool crypto project that I think goes up. It doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what happens. You should never invest money that you cannot afford to lose in crypto. It is so volatile. I know we want to put our money in or put two grand in and try to 10x it. But if you would lose sleep at night, with the thought of that going to zero, not that it does, but the thought of it crashing 50%, 90%, if that ruins your life emotionally, it is not worth it. Um, for me, I've, you know, I'm, I'm a little different. I started off younger. I was in the corporate job and I didn't have kids. And I was like, you know what? I'm trying to get to like three to 5 million as soon as possible. Take those high risk plays. And then I can start being smarter and more conservative with my wealth. But crypto is that you know, asymmetric, high risk, high reward potential. It is scary. There are not success stories everywhere like you think. I've had so many losses and I've had awesome, awesome comebacks, which is encouraging. And there was a quote I really liked that I shared on Twitter between confidence and arrogance. And being confident is believing you can do something because you, you've had the life experience to do it. Arrogance is thinking you can do it without ever having that life experience. So for me, I'm extremely confident in myself and in other people that have experienced the cycles and understand, you know, the risk reward. Um, the biggest thing is when prices go up, even me, when my portfolio is up two, three, five X during this bull run, during just a retracement, our goalposts are going to move. We're going to get greedy. We're going to do bigger bets and have more money. That's great and exciting, but that's more money to lose. So it's, it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. It gets very scary and very serious. Um, you know, I have mutual friends that know the family of that young trader that did too much in leverage and he took his life. Like, so you have to take this very, very seriously. Don't just look at the profits because losses are just as real. And, you know, everything I invest, even if I overinvest a little bit, if I lost it all, it's not going to ruin my life. So that's just high level 
you know, don't invest what you can't afford to lose, even if you think or know it's going to go up higher. Johnny Crypto, Johnny I think Crypto, that's a great that's opportunity, a great opportunity, opportunity to, talk to talk about an Oh, sorry, Kev. Sorry, Kev. Echo. There we go. Johnny, I think it's a great opportunity to talk about an exit plan too. I mean, we're going through these cycles and we see every time the liquidity comes in, yeah, prices pump, but they always go down on the back end. 90% of the altcoins liquidity is drained after the bear market. That means if your project starts off at a dollar and goes to $10, by the bottom of the next bear market, you're at $1.20. So if you don't take profit during these times, you're going to be stuck holding the bag. And everybody says, I don't want to sell my XRP. I don't want to take any profit because I'm holding for the long term. That's a smart, right? That's the that's like stage one. It's like you are in the first class of college courses. The first thing they're going to teach you after you go through the first cycle is you need to take profit because the money, it doesn't stick around for years. So Johnny, why don't you just talk about an exit plan? I'm going to ask Kev one final question and we'll close it out. Uh, that's a great, great question, Abs. And by the way, that was the chart that the guy was asking about where he can find that. I don't know if you have that on your Twitter, but if you can't well, remember. He can hire me to find out. <laughs> I'll retweet it. Anybody who wants it, I'll retweet it on my profile. I can't remember go. to tweet it out. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think when you talk about having an exit plan, it's so important because, you know, pull, if you pull those charts back up, abs, what happens is when people are in the middle of one of these pumps and things are going up, you can't help it. Our human nature leads us to believe that it's going to continue to go up and that emotional drive and belief that it's going to keep going up makes it very, very, very hard for most people to sell because they're afraid of selling too. There's this thing called selling, you know, this FOMO fair missing out, right? Selling too early is a thing. People are afraid that what they sell and it keeps going up that they're going to miss out. And obviously I did that with Amazon, right? That's why you, what you want to have is an exit plan. And what an exit plan is, it's not something that says you're going to sell everything. It's something that says, hey, I'm going to sell some of it. I may sell 20, 30, 40%, and I'm going to put some targets in ahead of time before it starts pumping so I'm not letting the emotions, because we're all humans, we're all emotional. I'm not going to let the emotions of the market dictate to me how to play the game. Because if you let the emotions dictate it to you, you're going to lose. Because you're going to watch it go up, and you're going to keep thinking it's going to go up. But the elites know it can only go up so high. Once everybody's over leveraged, that's it. We're done. It's going to start pulling down. And you said it comes down. It comes down crashing hard. If you've missed it, if you haven't laddered out on the way up, then you're going to end up missing it on the backside because it comes down so fast. There's no chance to really sell. And so, you know, guys, I hope you all have an exit plan. If you don't have it, hop over to Kevin Cage's page. He made a great, great video. On, on Merlin and how it works and how you can set up an exit plan. Go check out Kevin's video. It was freaking awesome. And, and, and you know, and then click on his link below and sign up and get yourself, get yourself a tool so that you're ready for when this next bull run comes. Because if you don't, you don't you're going to get wrecked. Yeah. Can I touch on that really quick, Abs? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah, just in terms of exit plans. Yeah, I did that exit plan video, whether you use a tool like Merlin or anything, it's so important. We've had this bear market, trendless market going sideways, crashing to have a plan in place. And when prices go up, you know, we're not going to sell the top. If you do, it's lucky. Um, and say you were you're in a buying ADA last cycle and you sold at a dollar and you watched it go to three bucks and climb so much higher. You'd be tempted to go back in and buy it back. But time changes everything. It still crashed 90%, uh, 90% the cycle. And at you know 25 cents, you are multiplying your bag. 
If you sold and it crashes 90%, you're in a position to buy back and 10X your position. If it crashes 50% and you buy back, you double your position. Now, it's not going to be perfect. Nothing is in markets. But just getting out, even if it keeps going higher, I'm not going to be rushing back in. What if it keeps going higher and stays there? Oh, well, there's always another opportunity. There's new projects launching. There's new developments. There's some projects crashing. And I think there's just always another you know, opportunity in crypto and time just changes everything. There's been, <clears throat> excuse me, short-term trades or moves that I thought were great. And I completely got wrecked thinking it was a genius idea. And then there's been periods where I've done a move and I'm not too excited about it, but I'm like, oh, well, this one's here and this one's here. I could probably double my position in this bag if you know this goes up and the other goes down as the ratio changes and it works out exceptionally well, like one or two years later. Um, so yeah, time changes everything. We all have our different strategies, but just keep a long-term perspective because short-term, you're going to be operating from emotion. Thank you guys. And I put this comment on the screen. I said, will Bitcoin break above $50,000 in 2023? This was the poll that we ran in our live chat and the results are a little bit surprising here, guys. 53% of the 372 votes believe we are going to break 50,000 this year. Well, 46% said no. So Kevin, to close it out today, before we get your socials and everything, do you agree? Is there a chance we pass 50K this year? Only if weekly RSI climbs higher, volume increases, and the monthly RSI keeps climbing above that 50 line. If we can get up into overbought, that's when you see those big impulses. Um, one or two people, blockchain backer, credible crypto, check them out on Twitter and YouTube. They've shown a variety of points that are very unique to themselves. And it does show the similarities between previous cycles and additional wave. And it's just very interesting. Nothing's guaranteed, but uh, yeah, I, I do think it is possible to see 50K this year. Interesting. Kev, Kev I got a question for you. This, this, this thought has crossed my mind couple times now and and nobody's gonna like this question but i gotta ask it so you know how basically if in the way the way the markets tend to work is if you think something's gonna happen it's just the opposite it's not gonna happen and so the whole world is prepared now for another bull run everybody thinks another bull run is gonna happen and so i'm wondering because the whole world thinks it's gonna happen do you think it won't happen is there a possibility, is there a possibility? I mean, anything's possible. There's been things that have happened this bear market that I didn't think. Like every day I go, this this stuff can't get any worse. And then bam. Yeah, right, <laughs> so, right. you know, it's possible. We still have gaps and imbalances at 20K for Bitcoin. My personal hope, right or wrong, is that Bitcoin goes to an all-time price before that's revisited. Um, I would hate to crash uh, down to 20K again, trend sideways longer and delay the bull run because I believe in tokenization and everything we're seeing this asset class is a minor asset class. Um, you know, you got Kevin O'Leary and different people thinking it's going to be one of the major um, sectors in the S&P 500. There's just, you're not going to find another asset class with all these screaming alerts to pay attention to of growth. So I struggle for, even if you don't believe in Bitcoin, I really struggle to understand anyone that doesn't think the crypto asset class creates a new ultimate price. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm in the same case. I think we're so early in this new class. Kevin O'Leary called it the 12th sector of the economy. I, I, you know, you see the big boys positioning themselves. I, I think we're in the beginning of a massive, massive transformation or, or a new, you know, a new, a new industry, a whole new piece of, you know, how, how does this play? Does this get wrapped into the stock market or does crypto exchanges become 
you know, do they all get absorbed? Does Coinbase and Binance get bought up by the big boys like the Charles Schwabs and the E-Trades of the world? I'm wondering how that whole that thing whole is going to go. Also, even, you know, March 2020, when Bitcoin is at like $3,100 at its low, the economy was crazy. There was quantitative easing. There was a pandemic. And people were saying, there's no way Bitcoin creates another high past 20K. And we not only surpassed that, we did by, you know, multiple Xs. So... I know the economy's scary. There's war, there's global tension, there's, you know, debt soaring. We don't know. Anything can happen. Um, but yeah, I, I just believe that this asset class has some of the highest returns in the future, or at least has the potential compared to anything else. Thank you so much, Kevin. And I want to say thank you for joining us this morning. Before we head out, guys, we got 448 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We talked a lot about Bitcoin, XRP, altcoins. What we've what we've confirmed from this episode of Good Morning Crypto is the market sentiment has changed. This this market it goes one of two directions, uh, Kevin. It goes down or it goes up. And right now it appears we've entered bullish territory. Crypto doesn't trade sideways for very long. And finally, we have entered the next phase of the bull run. That's what I really really believe and I really hope. But we got uh, four hundred people here. This is where you can follow Kevin on Twitter. That is at Kevin underscore cage underscore on Twitter. And Kevin, I'd love for you to just talk about your YouTube channel a little and we'll close it out. Sure. And yeah, be careful on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and just confirm that off my verified YouTube channel, it is me because there are scammers. There was even a Supreme Court case of guys in like Somalia trying to get people to invest on some phishing link. So just be careful that it's actually me. Um, I will never ask for funds. But on YouTube, we've been talking about utility-based assets since 2018, and the final hurdle is going to be regulation. I might be wrong about some networks. I'm very confident in my picks, um, and I do believe that the biggest, highest-returning assets that are also safe and not going to disappear tomorrow are solving real problems. So thanks for having me, and apologies that the internet cut out, and hopefully this phone audio is okay. The audio came in perfect. We like to say the three-letter agencies, they're trying to stop us, but they can't keep the Good Morning Crypto production from happening, guys. And I'm going to give a great uh, read a great comment here. Tony Bags says, smash that like button on the way out of here. I really hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And Johnny Crypto, you got any closing statements before we go? No, I just want to thank our friend Kevin. Kevin, it's great to have you. We love having you on the show, on, and hopefully we'll be able to get you back on again soon. We definitely will, guys. And we'll see you guys in 23 hours. We've got some special guests prepared for the rest of the month. we got Quincy Jones. We've obviously got Kevin here today. Who else am I forgetting? Crypto Airy, Mark Yusko, a bunch of A-listers joining the program. And I want to say thank you to Kevin Gates for making time for us this morning. Always a pleasure to have you on the program. We're going to close this thing out the same way we always do. Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you, Kevin. Let's go.